Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action. And welcome to 2016 and another week from Wisconsin. And we have Jorna Taylor. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, good complacent Thursday morning, Wisconsin. <laughs> Welcome to 2016, Jorna. <laughs> and as always, we have Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert? Good morning, everyone. So welcome, 2016. Uh, we've been away for a few weeks. Um, I am under the weather, but pushing through. Uh, Jorna, I hope you are you appear to be doing all right, if not complacent. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> So we are already well into the new year, and we have a number of topics we want to talk about, but we are going to start with, what is it, the 62nd time? That's is it? it? Ch- yes, it's a charm. Uh, finally, after 62 efforts, um, we have uh, a repeal of Obamacare that has landed on the president's desk. Woo-hoo! Thanks in large part to the great pushing of our uh, Paul Ryan and so Jorna I as part of our Paul Ryan watch uh, he was all a Twitter yesterday many posts justifying defending their 62nd effort to repeal health care from 22 million Americans Jorna this sounds like a phenomenal idea and I <laughs> feel like the 62nd uh, time might be the charm no you know and the the unfortunate part of this bill is that once again, now we are trying to defund Planned Parenthood along with it. So not only are we going to try and strip 22 million Americans of their health care, but we're also going to continue our attacks on access for low income and rural women who and and men who get access to health care through Planned Parenthood clinics across the country. Republicans always say that Obamacare doesn't work. And as somebody who is on the exchange and gets Obamacare and has pre-existing conditions and all of these things, I can tell you, it actually does work. But Jorna, this, they're saying this bill will save us half a trillion dollars. I mean, don't, I mean, isn't and, that worth it for? for- <laughs> absolutely. Maybe in the, you know, 63rd time that's a charm, they can try and, you know, repeal the rest of, you know, like private health care from folks as well. Um, yeah, it can save us a trillion dollars and we can't at the welfare of the citizens of the United States like that's ridiculous so Robert I'm obviously we've started a little bit here in jest but um, why don't you provide us a little bit of sober analysis of what this means um, we had basically full party line vote uh, there were a few Republicans that I think two or three Swing one state one Democrat uh, probably around the abortion issue Jordan I'm glad you mentioned a 12th time now that we've uh, voted to repeal funding for Planned Parenthood. But Robert, I mean, a lot of this push, the Republicans are saying and news reports are saying that the bill, the law is still unpopular. Um, However, we know that while the law may be unpopular, repeal probably is not. But give us your thoughts. Has anything changed as we push into 2016 and election year? You know, your thoughts on, 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 on this effort by this latest effort by Republicans? Well, what we need to understand is is that it doesn't matter. I mean, it's a, it's a demonstration of exactly how partisanized this has become, how the, the strategy of conservatives since 2010 is to make this a partisan litmus test. And so when people are throwing their hands up that the healthcare debate's partisan, that's their strategy to make it partisan. So now no self-respecting Republican can vote against taking healthcare away from 22 million people. Now, if they actually had control, it's easy to take cheap votes, right? 
Uh, so if a Republican is in the White House in 2017, will they take health care away from 22 million people? I would say that if they chose to do that, that the uh, midterm elections, the next midterm elections would be an absolute disaster for conservatism. And in fact, the uh, it would be the, the, the uh, Waterloo of conservatism. So... If, this is if we play our cards right. Now, if, if, if too many progressives and Democrats run with their tails between their legs and say, ooh, it's still unpopular, ooh, we shouldn't defend it, then we deserve to lose. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that taking health care away from people is a totally different matter uh, than not giving them coverage hypothetically in the future. This is an abrogation of freedom. This is a return to the days of discrimination when insurance companies decided who could be insured. Uh, not, it wasn't a guarantee. It wasn't a situation where everyone has access to health care no matter what. And the idea that it didn't work, right, of course it was an imperfect law. It was a compromise. In fact, it has a whole bunch of Republican ideas in it, many of them put in by people like Senator Grassley and Senator Olympia Snow, designed to get their votes, which it didn't. Uh, but it is as far as you can go is in a compromise to create a system where everyone, if they don't have insurance at work, has somewhere to go. Now, the major exception is undocumented people, and that's something we need to build on. And generally, the public is sick of this partisan debate, wants to move forward, wants to focus on cost, which remains a tremendous issue despite some incremental progress made by the Affordable Care Act. And those who are in the nullification jihadist wing, of which is the entire Republican Party, they are the ones that are preventing us from getting to dealing with cost. So they're going to say that continuing cost increases are Obamacare's fault. No, it's their fault. And you see that in Wisconsin, where the entire agenda of Governor Walker and the uh, conservative leaders of the legislature is simply to sabotage, interfere with Obamacare. They have no other health care policy. Yeah, Robert, I wanted to follow up with you on the cost issue. Um, that is one of the primary attacks or um, rhetoric that they're using this week is talking about how costs are up, premiums are up. It's not working. We, we know, we know that this was happening before Obamacare, right? I mean, we had skyrocketing health insurance on all these areas. Obamacare has actually done things to to slow that curve. However, the public doesn't always, isn't able to track that. Do you think that uh, this effort, even though we agree and are talking about we need to make costs a big issue, do you think it's effective for them to talk and demagogue and, you know, around the costs? Do you think it ultimately will be effective, though, in their ability to to continue to try to erode support for Obamacare? Because it appears that they're, they're not giving up, at least at this point, on, on that. Well, no, they're completely bought in ideologically uh, to this. Look, uh, the public is sick of the partisan debate and the division and the, and the kind of Northern Irelandization of the healthcare debate. And so if we focus on that and say they're the ones who are unreasonable and want to move backwards towards a system based on discrimination, and we're the ones who want to move forward and focus on cost and here's what we're going to do on cost and have them all vote against it, uh, then we win. And so Hillary understands that. Hillary has campaigned this way very effectively, talking about dealing with deductibles, putting more money in for deductibles, which are too high in the Affordable Care Act, rating in prescription drug prices, prescription drug companies are left completely unscathed by Medicare Part D and then by the Affordable Care Act because of their political power and they're doing outrageous things, which are literally outraging public opinion, uh, and other things like surprise medical bills. 
Uh, so there's we need a, a platform. There are some Democrats in the Wisconsin legislature working on elements of this, like the rate review bill uh, that Representative Colstein and Senator Larson put forward. Others uh, are working on things. We need to get those out before the elections and give Republicans an opportunity to either do the right thing or do the wrong thing. Uh, but we need to make this about who wants to go backward and who wants to go forward. And we need to make this about taking health care away from people and to make it really clear that this, this is the party of discrimination. Well, and I, I would say, to take this in kind of another direction as well, um, Congressman Mark Pocan likens it to Groundhog Day, this 62nd mm -hmm. time, and says that when he goes to Washington, he plans on voting on how to create jobs or to help lift people's wages, and instead he's voting on taking away health care from 22 million Americans. We were told just a couple months ago on the floor of this, this Congress that there's a new day in Congress. Well, it doesn't feel like a new day. It feels a lot like Groundhog's Day. I wake up, I shower, I get on a plane, I come to Washington, I plan on voting how to create jobs or help lift people's wages. Instead, I'm voting on taking away health care from 22 million people. The next week, I wake up, I shower, I get on a plane, I fly to Washington. What do I do? I vote on taking away health insurance for 22 million people. 62 times this body has voted to repeal health care, but we've also now made a new one of a dozen times we have now voted to defund Planned Parenthood, which with this body speaker in my home state of Wisconsin means 62,000 women last year wouldn't have got access to health insurance. It's no wonder that with bad recycled ideas like that, the public has such disdain for Congress. That's not a new day in Congress. It's just Groundhog's Day. And that's the same damn thing that's happening here in Wisconsin. We're not having any sort of real conversation about wages and supporting job creation and growth among working folks and the middle class. And instead, we're using these, you know, hot button issues as bully pulpit type tactics to continue this draconian, to use a Robert favorite word, narrative of how, you know, government should get out of our lives and it's it's good for nothing. So it's disappointing to see that that continues into 2016. But literally, it will be Waterloo if we have a new Republican president and they repeal the Affordable Care Act, take health away 20 million people, privatize Medicare, start to privatize Social Security, uh, actually do the stuff they run around talking about with their crazed Tea Party base. Imagine? Um, and so, right, and they'll they'll set up so they'll be they'll be Barry Goldwater like party. So we'll see. You watch. They they keep saying, "Oh, we want to deal with pre-existing conditions," but you can't do that unless you create a system where everyone is in the healthcare system and you have healthier people paying in to cover people who are sicker. And you also can't do it unless you actually invest in prevention and reducing healthcare costs because our healthcare costs are double per capita. Report shows premiums and deductibles in Wisconsin have tripled since the year 2000. I mean, it's astounding. There's nothing else that's tripled. Not even the only other thing that's close is college tuition. Those are the two things. <laughs> it's worth pointing out that while they have voted now 62 times to repeal the law, they still have no bill to replace it. In They've fact, not coalesced, according oh, to the... you know, they're going to go, gonna gonna go on a Baltimore, retreat. They're going to go on a retreat in Baltimore <laughs> and talk about... And I like the passive language of, like, uh, some of the Nationals' coverage. It talks about... Um, the CBO finding that as a result, 22 million fewer people will have health insurance. No, no. 22 million will have their health insurance yanked away from them by conservatives. But, that is what's going to happen. But Speaker Ryan wanted to work with President Obama on policies as a leader of his party and things. So he's doing a bang-up job. Yeah, we'll put a link to the uh, excellent one-minute uh, 
video of uh, Congressman Pocan and his comments about Groundhog Day because it's incredibly appropriate. And of course, he reminds us of the 12 efforts now again to defund Planned Parenthood, which is a whole nother story. And we've we've talked extensively with uh, folks from Planned Parenthood about that issue in the past. And, and clearly um, that effort is going to continue. Um we are going to switch topics, although we're obviously going to never stop talking about healthcare here on the podcast. But we need to talk to what has really become um, the public health crisis of our time right now, and that is the gun violence issue. And so this week, we had uh, an executive order from uh, President Obama to essentially look at closing the loopholes around both gun show purchases and uh internet purchases uh, there's a number of other things including real resources to do background checks 24 hours a day study how we could potentially make guns safer but it's a pretty i mean it's a pretty mild proposal right but yet it has started a firestorm jorna i you know we've got in it, it this has come to wisconsin we have our governor threatening lawsuits uh our ag um, That's Attorney General for the for those yeah. who keep yeah. the score out there. <laughs> I mean, where do you even start with this conversation, right? I it's such an appalling situation, circumstances um, becoming the new norm here in the United States that you know it's it's almost becoming callous when you people are becoming callous when you hear that there's more gun violence and yet we have refused to do anything about it except have this you know back and forth of how obama is going to take my guns away um you know i think it really hit home for me yesterday a friend of mine who just had a baby posted on facebook that she will not allow the first question she's going to ask parents is if there are any guns in their house before she allows her child to go over to their house to play and it created such a firestorm among other parents and how dare she judge them and i mean the rhetoric that is coming out from the right and how people just feel wed to their guns is is so disturbing to me but um, in Wisconsin, Attorney General Brad Schimmel is already prepared to not only defend public safety and enforce public law and, and what exists on the books, but if Obama is going to act unilaterally, you know, I think that Brad Schimmel is going to hold himself up in the uh, Justice Building in Madison and we're going to need to bring him snacks as he, you know, defends <laughs> the Second Amendment from that that Obama guy who just wants to come and, and take all of God-fearing, law-abiding citizens' guns. So this is ridiculous, but thankfully the president is trying to do something. I don't think it's far enough. I think that Obama has the opportunity to really use his position and executive orders to do more, and so I hope that he does. So I could, you know, bash conservatives on this. Um, it'd you be, could. It would be very easy because, again, like in healthcare and like in global warming and other issues and the economy, it's not evidence-based, any of it, right? But we need to, I want to unpack a little, understand it. The appeal of, there are two different factors in the incredible, shocking power of the gun lobby in American politics, especially national politics. One is the successfulness of NRA as a pressure group 
to get the most mobilized gun owners who, who, who identify most with gun culture so active that they influence elections, in, particularly in gerrymandered districts, and then have the capacity to lobby at a tremendous level so that even though public opinion, including that of gun owners, is for these common sense steps, it's a non-starter in Congress. So it's important to understand how this kind of pressure group can distort American democracy just based on uh, an unyielding ideology and based on uh, intensity of its supporters. And, and obviously, Robert, that key factor is the reason Obama had to do an executive order, which is just no rational conversation in Congress about this. And we have an American system that was that was designed to have all sorts of breaking points, basically, because the founding fathers were concerned about, you know, emotion sweeping through and doing rash things. And so all these breaking points help someone like the NRA that's trying to block things because there are so many different levels to block it at um, in Congress, even if there's democratic control. The second thing to understand is, is that this is not factual, it is cultural. And so there's a group of Americans, uh, rural Americans, um, working class Americans who very much identify with guns and see that as part of their freedom. It's, it, it, so there's a symbolic uh, connection between all these things. And therefore, are, uh, see any of these restrictions as an attack on them and their culture and somehow defining them and blaming them. You don't see that in Obama's rhetoric, but that's how it's perceived because that's how it's interpreted and spun by the people they do listen to. And so I think, even though I've not like deeply studied polling, not that I believe in polling, but opinion research on this, that we need to find a way to split the culture and to say, in essence, to gun owners that people who are criminals, people who are reckless with guns, who, who go and, um, and, and buy guns are giving gun owners a bad name. And it's sort of like the same reason that doctors and other professional groups wanted to have professional associations to regulate who was a dentist, who was a doctor, even who is a, and a lot of other professions as well. Uh, because I know that they currently, the, the NRA does a lot of kind of promoting of gun safety to make, to make guns a responsible thing. And I think most gun owners I know who are, who are enthusiasts and hunters take gun safety extremely seriously. But they should, we need to make them see that this gives all gun owners a bad name in the culture war if you don't have a regu a re reasonable regulations. And to call having a, a, a simple background check for any seller of guns is not a violation of the Second Amendment. Anyone who says that is a freaking propagandistic liar who oughtn't to be listened to in the, in the public square whatsoever. Well, Robert— Including Rep. IG Attorney General Schimmel. You mentioned that, that you—you know, how we need to sort of— change our tack on this. I, I actually think this is deeply connected to sort of this uh, distrust in America and government in particular, right? This idea that somehow, and they're playing up on it with this executive order, right? That this is somehow um, an illegal act where it's an overreach of the government. And there's such distrust amongst this crew, right? And we know Trump, we've talked about this, has been really uh, playing into this and feeding it right, that these folks, they're just not even open to, like, listening. They they sincerely, apparently, irrationally, but believe that the government is literally close to, like, taking them over and, and that something as simple as this, as you point out, Robert, really does nothing to really truly go after the Second Amendment. It's We're talking about just some basic background checks here that already apply to most of the gun stores, that, excuse me, apply to all the gun stores, yeah. right? Um but it, it taps into that anti-government stuff that is hot right now with Trump, what's going on in Oregon, right? And, and, and it gets rid of other, like there's a bizarre loophole that, that says you don't need a background check if it's purchased by 
an organization instead of an individual. So there's this giant loophole that that would allow any kind of uh, militia or extremist group simply to have its organization buy the guns and there'd be no check. I mean, things like that, which are just nuts because organizations don't have Second Amendment rights. People do. Whoa, whoa. But they <laughs> have free speech rights. Well, I know. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and it also does things like feeds. The executive order also feeds into this notion that this is all just a mental health crisis. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it does pay some attention to things like that which i mean yes we need to invest more in mental health but that's not really what i think is at the core of this look i I agree with you robert and i agree with you matt and we need to change this narrative and and everything you say but from my perspective i just want to know where we went wrong i mean what was that turning point in history where where americans or pretty much Americans, um, said, you know what? I need to have an AK-47. It is my right to go out and hunt Bambi with an AK-47 or to defend my house. I I don't understand. I just don't understand the obsession with this sort of weapon of mass destruction because that's what it is. Well, we kind of need to try to understand it and to make a distinction between responsible gun owners and irresponsible gun owners are a very small faction of NRA members who are who are into military weapons, right? I mean, it's a, there's a subculture there, which is not most gun owners. And uh, we can talk about that as well. But yeah, just in these mass killings, which are now commonplace, as President Obama has said in, in America, every couple of weeks, it's the ability of the person to like literally kill uh, lo- tons of people all at once. Yep. And then we had the allegedly brilliant, I don't know how people see him this way, uh, surgeon uh, Ben Carson. Uh, brilliance is narrow. He may be a brilliant surgeon. He's not a brilliant foreign policy analyst or political analyst. Uh, and so saying that uh, when at that community college where there was a mass murder, that he would have just charged, if he, if, if he would have just charged the, uh, the gunman and then everything would have been fine. Yeah, we'll see when, when Ben Carson's actually in front of the gunman how that goes. Was it, isn't the statistic something like for the 850 mass shootings, there have been like six armed citizens that have actually even been able to wound one of the gunmen? That's not a solution. And that's not, vigilantism is not a solution. Bring snacks. Oh my. We have, we're going to have, since here we want to bring guns into classrooms, right? We're going to have, you can see the movie with Clint Eastwood or, uh, you know, some other such actor, right, as a teacher. And then pull, reaching for the holster, the ankle holster, uh. and mowing down the bad guy, right? And, uh. and of course, uh, the unfortunate... Um, Side effect of this is, you know, every time we have any sort of movement where there might be some kind of legislation, it just sparks gun sales as a lot of these folks um, irrationally, you know, believe that their Second Amendment's coming to an end and, you know, storm out to the stores. And, you know, we're seeing that again. Gun sales are up this week and, um, you know... They're using Obama, right, to sell guns, right? Uh, some some of those gun store owners call him the uh, gun salesman in chief, right? Because he is, quote, driving. Even even this discussion, it's so surreal, right? Like, you can't even have an, uh, uh, a frank discussion. I got to tell you, I'm quite a bit dispirited about this issue. I have been for a while. I actually share... Um, the feelings, I believe, it was the Madison police chief who spoke about this. I don't have his exact words, but he, he was pretty dispirited and actually suggested, you know, the law won't matter much. There is so many guns already out there, and it's growing every day that, you know, this is 
he didn't say much to do about nothing because he obviously supports it, but just we're we're fighting a, a tidal wave of guns that you know we're just you know it's 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 kind of hard to comprehend and it's sort of a surreal conversation, but it is where we're at and it actually connects to our next topic. You mentioned vigilantism. And the so, vigilante from Slinger. Yeah, we got to talk about this guy again, Ugh. right? Bob Gannon, Representative Gannon. He is he is from Slinger, as uh, Jorna has pointed out. We talked about him, I think, on our last podcast, right? Because he made the crazy comments about shooting center mass in response to the shooting at a mall and just crazed stuff. Well, I don't know. He may have actually one-upped himself. Um, he's now decided to add racism to his uh, ballywick of uh, uh, press releases. No, the shooter in Madison w- was bla- a young black man. Yeah. So it was there was race was certainly involved last time. But sure, yeah, yeah, but yeah. he I mean, look. This this release he put out yesterday, there's no clear, you know, no lack of clarity about its you think implications. There's a staff editing these or what there's, are you talking about? <laughs> well, by the way, all small d democrat we, yes, throughout all this. <laughs> we, the title of his release was Murder Mayhem and Jobs. It, 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 it's it's got like a short story. I won't even get into the causality being mixed up between, you know, uh, crime and jobs and jobs, you know, which one leads to the other. Uh, which You'll provide has, a link to this document. I will, because Robert, it is very clear it was not edited by anyone. In fact, I'm beginning to believe Bob Gannon may have no staffers. It has typos in it. It has strange grammatical usage. Um, but the one thing that is not at all unclear is it directly basically goes after Milwaukee and black folks, black neighborhoods, he says, and basically says that these are the reasons why we have a you know, bad economy. It's, it is unbelievable, um, both in its lack of actual uh, connection to facts, but also just in its straight up, we're just going to take a racist shot at Milwaukee. Yeah, Jorna? You know, Robert talks a lot about racial coding and dog whistle politics. This is not okay. coded. At all. This is blatantly that black people in Milwaukee are murdering each other, and that's why Milwaukee sucks and they're unemployed. And if that Democrat, small d Democrat mayor Tom Barrett would just clean up this city, maybe maybe it could just fall off into Lake Michigan. It, maybe that would make Bob Gannon happy. Um, then everything would be fine and white people would be happy again and unemployment rates would not be so horrible in Wisconsin. So yeah. this is really the fault of... African-American men in Milwaukee. It has nothing to do with any of our state-level policy on jobs and uh, education, education in Milwaukee. No, no. Absolutely not. Robert? Yeah, I don't know if we're giving, I'll quote a little bit from it. We're not giving oh, it sure. Full, go, go right at it. But I do want to say that we should compliment uh, Representative Gannon for be, making explicit what the more sophisticated members of his movement uh, do subtly and in a cowardly sort of way, like right-wing talk show hosts. So now you know what all the coded uh, dog whistle means. It means this. So we have Milwaukee finished the year with an unemployment rate of approximately 20% for their black their black population. Yeah, not the Not the population. No, no, no. Yeah. This is almost four times as high as the white unemployment rate for the city and the state. 
this means. Now, normally we would say this is a problem. We have ra racial right. disparities. That's what progresses. What are we going to do about that? This is not the America we believe in. Not Representative Gannon. The next sentence. This means that Milwaukee leads in murders and mayhem per capita, with a large number of these crimes occurring in mainly black neighborhoods, the same neighborhoods with the worst unemployment rate rates in the state. This means what? I, I love the I love the transition. How does it mean that? Could one make a connection? I'm quoting Mr. Gannon, everyone. Could one crazy person? Uh, between un em employment opportunities and the level of crime on those same streets? What employer will build or expand when they fear mugging, carjacking, attempted murder, or other serious criminal threats to their employees? One cannot ignore the correlation between jobs and crime. Employment opportunities will only expand in these neighborhoods when the violence is stopped. And I'm looking forward to, since it's not really clear as to what is being proposed exactly. Nothing. Uh, just, well, just let's bash. <laughs> I'm just wondering uh, uh, it, what kind of what kind of massive surge occupation uh, is he proposing exactly? Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, it's it's easy for you know three white folks to sit here and to kind of tongue in cheek laugh as we read through this, but I mean. The fact that people in Wisconsin and not far outside of Milwaukee, I mean, Slinger, if for folks that don't know where Slinger is, it's about a half an hour outside of the city limits of Milwaukee. It's on in the... Washington County, also the home of Congressman Glenn Grothman. Yeah, I'm, it, no correlation there, of course. Um, you know, uh, this is not some sort of far flung part where people from Washington County aren't coming down to Milwaukee and enjoying all of the wonderful things this city does have to offer. So, uh, it's it's appalling to me that this gentleman has been reelected and that this notion is is out there. So so and Rob, this is okay. <laughs> Robert often talks about facts and progressives liking facts and and believing that facts will win the day. All you need to do is read this release and there's a complete lack of understanding of well correlation, causality, facts. anything. I mean, he's completely got the 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 actual empirical evidence of how we have, you know, causality completely reversed right on this. So uh, yeah, and I, you know, mayhem. I, I was unaware of the official statistics around mayhem. I didn't realize they were kept. I'm not sure how you quantify that, but uh, uh, may mayhem is the work of the conservative majority in the state legislature. <laughs> but, but let me just say this would be a good test of the fine folks of Washington County. I sort of uh, cast an aspersion where I go, they they have Representative Gannon and Congressman Glenn Grothman. Uh, will there be any serious challenger? This is a Republican area. Uh, from a more re a responsible Republican or not, or will Bob Gannon run uh, unopposed for re-election? I think that would be an interesting test as to whether anyone in Washington County is offended by this or whether this is all just fine. So I guess we will know by filing deadline and in, in these next elections. Well, we're going to close out by talking about the topic nobody's talking about, and that's jobs and job creation and what we ought to be doing to actually turn this economy around. And we did. We want to point out that it was announced this week that the Kohler Corporation is going to be hiring 500 people this year. Um, a little over 200 of them are actually replacing old positions, but it appears uh, that uh, things are actually doing fairly well up there at the Kohler company. And uh, it's uh, a damn good thing those workers went out on strike, and because uh, their increases apparently have not hurt the ability of this company to succeed and expand and grow. So we wanted to point that out and a shout out to, again, to all those workers who uh, went out on strike and really uh, kind of led the way here in Wisconsin to show people that uh, you can have take collective democratic action in your union and actually improve your uh, economic state and life. And uh, 
Uh, this is uh, very good news. However, we want to talk about the broader economic situation. Over the holidays uh, last year, we did find out that the state did um, have over 10,000 mass layoffs, um, which was thousands more than the previous years and set a record uh, from the end of the recession, I believe it was 2010. But Walker continues this week to dismiss it. Basically, say, ah, don't look at that. Doesn't really matter. Everything's great, right? You know, it's more of the same. Matt, I think you're missing the point entirely. You see, as always, good things that happen, like the Kohler hiring, that's because of Walker's policies. Bad things that happen are not Walker's policies. Everything, everything you say bad bounces off me and sticks to you. Remember that? <laughs> it's like that. Rubber uh, and glue, Robert. And that's about the level of, of Governor Walker's economic discourse. So. So I will say, because we will strive as progressives to be fact-based, it is unfair to say that all of the mass layoffs are Governor Walker's fault, and they might well have happened, many of them, under a Democrat governor. What is Walker's fault is having no legitimate economic strategy at all to, to, to create more jobs and to create family-supporting jobs. So uh, these are a lot of these are multinational corporations. They're going to make their decisions, their transitions, in the, their, all sorts of machinations they're making. Uh, obviously, Walker's bribery of them to stay isn't working. I can say that. But broadly, there is no strategy other than showering riches upon the quote-unquote job creators whose job, this is what conservatives understand, is not to create jobs but to create profit. And jobs are an ancillary benefit. The only people that want to create more middle-class jobs and create opportunity in this state are the people of the state and the workers, and it's, and it's alleged democratic government. I also want to point out there was new research that came out of the UW this week that actually critiqued exactly what you're talking about, Robert, Weedex policies of trying to poach or lure businesses uh, from other states as a failed strategy that almost, as they say, in reality, never happens. And uh, basically... Um, kind of lampooned Weedex major strategies and said that one of the reasons Wisconsin is struggling is it, it, it has a strategy to basically pursue large corporations and these sort of failed strategies of poaching that don't actually produce jobs. So, it moves jobs at best, and at worst, all it does is allow the company you're trying to poach to get a better deal at home and, and, and extort taxpayers where they are and then save the expense of moving. Well, thank God we're going to defund the UW system for putting out such shoddy, non-fact-based <laughs> research like that. Yeah, that'll, that'll be next week, Jorna, I'm sure. I look forward to reading Bob Gannon's comments on it. <laughs> before, before we get to yeah. Matt's favorite part, real quick, you know, we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about conservatives and Republicans and um, some of the new terms that Robert used today Democrat. to describe the right. Um, but, you know, we don't we don't often hold our own accountable for their for their statements and for their actions. And this week, I know where you're going, DSW, as, as I alluded to in our opening, DWS. Um, the chairwoman of the Democratic National Committee Debbie Wasserman Schultz actually was quoted in an interview uh, talking about how complacent those of us who were born after Roe v. Wade was decided have been in the fight for abortion rights and for women's health care. And it's sparked quite a outrage among a lot of progressives. Um, Hard to understand why. Yeah, I, I'm personally, you know, appalled by this because it's just simply not true among my peers. And, you know, while maybe it's not the fight for abortion rights anymore, it's the chipping away at the other services and women's health care needs and things like that. And 
And I, and I do support the call that is out there for Debbie Wasserman Schultz to step down. I say this all, though, as we go into 2016, and this being our first podcast of the new year and a very important presidential year, that we as progressives need to hold our candidates' feet to the fire as well. That this is a really important opportunity that we have to make sure that we're not just supporting those folks that would be all right on some things because we want to win in certain districts. I mean, in Wisconsin, it can't get much worse. Let's be honest. So this is, I think, I personally feel that this is an opportunity for for Democrats and progressives in Wisconsin to stand up and hold our folks accountable as well as we move through this next election year. It's one of those kind of glimpses into someone's actual uh, worldview and perspective that doesn't uh, doesn't speak well of them, kind of like when President, the first President Bush was surprised to learn about uh, cost of milk. <laughs> the cost of milk, uh, supermarket scanners were an exciting, fascinating new thing they need to study. So in this case, yes, for uh, upper middle class, upper class women uh, who live in, 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 in deep blue areas, it's no longer a concern. Uh, most of the right wing uh, attempt uh, has been to block women who don't have means from having any way to get an abortion if they should unfortunately need one and decide to have one. And I think it's over 80 percent of counties in this country have no abortion provider. And you have whole parts of the country where literally you drive have to travel hundreds of miles. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on. I know that doesn't impact Debbie Wasserman Schultz and her 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 relatives and her friends. But she really Willie Rose revealing that she's not. And this is a problem. She's not empathizing with the, the, the struggles of, of average women that actually face a real, a real attempt to block any access to reproductive freedom uh, in this country. And, uh, you know, this is the same woman, I must point out, who has set up the Democratic debates in a way only to aid one candidate. And uh, literally has tried to, t- which is very unfortunate because I think it makes Hillary a less strong candidate. I think Hillary uh, is a very good debater. And if she wins the debates outright, it'll make her a stronger candidate in the general if she is nominated. So it's uh, even so trying to put debates on Saturday night and all of that is just r- ridiculous. Uh, but Dude, that'll get it- in the way of Love Boat and Fantasy Island. What the yeah. heck? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still living in the 80s. So she's good at raising money. That cannot be the main criterion for who's going to be the DNC chair. Sorry. I, I know everyone wants to compete in big money politics, but please. Uh, Jorna, obviously you mentioned it is 2016. It's an election year. We want to remind everybody we have important elections coming up. we got a spring primary. I think it's the 16th of February uh, statewide. We have a very important Supreme Court race. And in April... I think it's April 5th, I believe, is the general, and that is also the presidential primary in this state, which uh, Robert just briefly mentioned and is still a very hot and highly contested race. So hopefully it will still be when we get to Wisconsin. Certainly help get progressive voters out on April. And of course, in August, we have our first partisan primary, and so that will be uh, for state legislative races and other things, and then uh, the presidential and all almost you know, all of the main partisan offices being up in the fall in November. Vote early, vote often in Wisconsin. Yeah, and and uh, you can do your absentee ballots. They sh- they actually absentee ballots will yes. be out shortly, very shortly for the primary. So. I want to encourage folks to get out and participate. And if you're um, in the Milwaukee area, uh, we here at Citizen Action are going to have lots of opportunities for you to get involved in the election, and uh, you can look for more information on that. So with that, Jorna, 
It is the first weekend of 2016. I know you're still recovering from your New Year's Eve celebration. What well, are you doing? doing? Nothing except sitting on my couch with my dog. Well, it takes a lot to recover from that. Yeah. What are you doing this uh, this weekend? Well, for those who are in Milwaukee on Friday night, Friday, Friday, you should come on down to Brenner Brewery in Walker's Point and join uh, podcast producer Brian Wildridge and I in the Milwaukee Top Ten Albums of the Year party. It's a super fun party where you get to showcase your inner music nerd and write your top 10 albums, songs, shows, I don't know, random thoughts about music on giant post-it notes, slap them on the wall, and have really cool conversations while drinking great beer with other music nerds just like yourself. So um, that is what I will be doing this weekend. It's one of my favorite nights of the year. It's a great time. I believe it's coming off a one-year hiatus. Yes. So it's great to have it back, and shout out to Brian Wildridge and Jorna for uh, bringing that back to Milwaukee. Really strongly encourage people to to go out. I'm way behind on my work for this. Normally, I every year put out a mixtape as a Christmas you gift do. to my friends. I, I didn't have one this year. A weird dream pop punk Ugh, mix I know. or rock. I know, I know, like some you know aging pavement band. <laughs> um, I'm still listening to pavement all, all these years all after. The I know, yes. So. Um, Looking forward to that. I'm going to attend. I have a lot of work to do. I don't. I don't know if I'm going to get it done in time to yes, be. Yes, Robert. Yes, I know. Yeah, it sound like Robert. Uh, anyways, Robert, what are you doing this weekend? Matt, I don't know. We just had 11 day furlough, when we're all of a sudden deciding on new furloughs. Come on. Um, all I got figured out is is that my nephew Delano is volunteering Friday, so that's a little bit of a furlough. That's Other a Robert than that, furlough. Uh, yes. It remains to be seen. All right. Well, Robert, it's it's good to have you back. It's good to have Jorna back. And as always, we thank Brian Woolridge for making this podcast happen every week. As we head into, I believe this is our fourth year actually producing. We're all three and a half years, I believe. Uh, in January, in June, we'll be we'll be at our four year anniversary. We want to thank all you listeners who've stuck with us for four years listening to this nonsense. Um, so we really I'll, appreciate it. I'll throw it. in one thing. Uh, yeah. the, the Pitt Notre Dame Ooh, uh, college basketball game Saturday afternoon. See, see, so just so you know, you get Robert going. He does come up with things he's he's going to do on the weekend. It's usually after the furlough records. But anyways, Robert, that's a great one. All right. We'll see everybody next week here at the back.